Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's keep our Bibles open, if you would, to that passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be spending some time in it. If you're visiting Christ Church today, let me know. I want you to know, uh, first of all, my name is Mark, and I get the privilege of being one of the ministers here. But you're also joining us in the last week of a 15-week series that we've called The Cruciformed Life, how we're shaped by the man on the cross and the work of the cross. And we spent the majority of that time, the first 13 weeks in the first letter to the people in Corinth, and now we've spent the last two weeks just delving in and taking a peek into the second letter. Not that the second letter is insignificant, but there's some things that are covered in the second letter that he does not cover in the first. And so we're concluding our series today by this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 primarily. And we have focused on how the work of the cross changes our relationships, it changes our future, it it gives us an opportunity. How do we treat one another? How do we live in freedom? How do we express that freedom in worship? How do we care for one another? What do we say when we gather? All of these things Paul was bringing. You might remember, Paul has been corrective, he's been encouraging, he's argued with them and he's persuaded them. This is an interactive letter between a group of Christians like us and one of Jesus' apostles. And as we conclude the series, there's some things that I think Paul does really, really well in his writings. In fact, the doctrine of justification, one of the pillars of Christian faith, Paul is the leading advocate with the most words in all the scripture about it. He explains to us how we're justified by the blood of Jesus and how that takes care of who we are in Christ and how that, that uh, wall between us and God, that enmity has been torn down and now we live at peace with God. But what happens after that? You see, the other parallel pillar that holds Christianity up, that helps us understand it, is the doctrine of sanctification. It's something I want to talk to you about today. I think it's one of the forgotten pillars of the faith. The reason being, and I hope not to be too judgmental, but let me give you my observations. The American gospel sounds like this. Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. Thank you. It's only one half of the gospel. The American gospel is incomplete. If you talk to most people on the street and you say, tell me what the gospel message is, Jesus died for my sins. True, but why? For what purpose? To just eliminate your past so you can try to have a better future? And the the doctrine of sanctification shows us the other half of the gospel that is clearly stated in our New Testament. It's something during Thanksgiving week I want to encourage you with because I'm not going to berate anybody. I hope I never do that. I'm going to challenge you to see what's available to you so that in the week of Thanksgiving, you'll receive it. And not only receive in it, thrive because of it. You see, there is life before the cross. There is life in the cross. And never forget, there is life after the cross. And this is what the cruciform life is shaping us for. What it means to grow in Jesus, with Jesus, and for Jesus. A life that continues on. This passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you look with me at verse 18, we're going to read it two or three times this morning because I think it's the hinge on which Paul defines sanctification. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'm going to give you a definition of sanctification because I don't want us to forget it. It's really simple. It's going to come in three bite-sized pieces. And let's talk through it. The first is this. Sanctification is a process. It is the life we live with Jesus. And it's it's distinct in the American gospel. We have justification down. The blood of Jesus Christ 
is our propitiation. It is our sacrifice on God's behalf that settles both the wrath and love of God beautifully. And it comes only through Jesus Christ. So you see, justification occurs at a point in time and sanctification is a process over time. One brings us life, the other is the life. And if you separate those two, we have a problem because the image in the New Testament predominantly is that justification is new birth. We have been birthed into life. Now, any of us who have had the joy of being a parent, as well as the heartache of being a parent, you understand that there is a moment in time that your child was conceived. And I believe the Bible teaches clearly at conception, it is a person. God knows their name. God knows their fingerprints. God knows their life. And then they're born into the world. And if you simply say, are you a parent? Yes, I have a child. Well, how's your child doing? I don't know. Upon birth, we just said, you're alive. That's all there is to this. No, we raise our children. We keep them safe. We try to teach them right from wrong. We suffer when they don't. We rejoice when they do. We teach them what to eat, and what not to eat, how to live, how to be wise, how to be foolish. We show them everything in life. You see, there is more to life than being born. Justification is the birth. Sanctification is the living. So you were born and then we had to learn how to live and we learn how to live in holiness. But I want to give you a lot of caveats today. God isn't expecting you to be perfect. His perfection is enough. God is expecting you to be his. And what sanctification does for us is it teaches us how to become his in justification and how to remain his and live for him through the sanctification process. Hebrews 10 is one of becoming quickly one of my favorite uh, chapters in all scripture. Verse 14 is fitting. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The process. We are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ to live a life with God, for God, because of God. You see, justification refers to how we stand before God. Sanctification refers to how we live before God. And like I said, I, I wanna be really careful that many of you think, well, no, he's angry this morning and he's saying, I'm not trying to live for Jesus. No, I want you to understand this, that what we're gonna learn today is sanctification is a gift. Receive it, experience it. Don't just settle for justification. Allow the completed work of the Holy Spirit to shape you, to change you, to form you. Paul would write to the Christians in Rome and he is, this is where we get great deal of understanding about justification. But you'll also notice if you pay attention, he also offers us a beautiful image of sanctification. Chapter five, since we have been justified before God by faith, we now have peace with God. See, not just a temporary peace or one-time peace, an ongoing peace, that our relationship with God is proven, that we are justified. You don't have to wonder, am I saved or not? Do you believe in the promises of Jesus Christ and the blood on the cross? Then let that shape you. Not just one moment in time, but as we go forward. Chapter six, Paul teaches it this way. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Do you see in Paul's explanation of justification that he also answers the question, for what reason were we justified? To live, to live with purpose, to live with opportunity, to live with power, to live with presence. You see, the cruciform life is not just permission to live. It's the power to live. 
And the cross is what shapes that power. The cross is what enables us. Once again, I want to read chapter 3, verse 18 from our text this morning. So that now that you've seen that these are parallel truths that cannot exist without the other. Here's what he says. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. I want to focus on ever increasing glory. And I want to use a real strange illustration that I hope works. I wish I could say this, but I, I'm sure it's not universal and it saddens my heart. But I hope you had a good mom. I know she wasn't perfect. I know there were moments that you irritated each other or she did things you wish you hadn't. Some of you had broken moms, but we all had a mom. And here's what I know about whether it's a good mom or a bad mom. Moms can't stop momming. Are you with me? I have an 84-year-old mother. I'm a 55-year-old adult on most days. My mom moms me all the time. What I mean by my mom moms me is my mom loves me. My mom cares for me. My mom protects me. My mom believes in me. My mom will correct me. My mom will challenge me. My mom will disagree with me. My mom will still expect me to behave. 55 and she still says, are you being good? Woman, you should not have to answer that question. It's only one girl in this world. You're not her, but she is. My mom's influence on me has never ended. Some of you have said goodbye to your moms. Your mom is still momming you though, isn't she? Her influence, her presence, her desires for you. You see what makes a good mom is? They don't have to be your fan. They're your mom. And they're calling you to be the person they know you can become. Now, maybe your dad served that role, but you get the point I'm making, right? What I want you to understand is the gift of sanctification is God momming you to become what you need to become to experience the best of life. So let him. See, justification is a completed act. Sanctification is an increasingly progressive act. So in other words, you're not just kind of justified or partially justified or conditionally justified. You are forgiven of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ should you accept that blood as the sacrifice for your confessed sin. But there is more to life than just being justified. There is experiencing the progressive life with God. A life where God can challenge you. A life when God can call you to something greater than you've accepted. A life where God can believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. Forgive you and love you and show you compassion when you need to be held and comforted. And also call you out when you need called out. Because my mom who has said some of the roughest things to me and I've never doubted for a second she didn't love me the entire time. She said it because it needed to be said. And God's truth does that for us. Sanctification is a process. The second piece is by which God. And this, the reason I separated that out awkwardly the way I did was to make the emphatic point, many of us are trying to be sanctified by our behavior, by our choices, by our change, by our new resolve. And none of those things can be made fun of, but they're ineffective. We are changed by God alone by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, by the power of the resurrection and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way this works. So, so to receive what God wants us to have this week, we have to let him bring it to us. We have to join with him. We can't live separately. You can't live for God if you're not living with God. And so it's by which God? Sanctification, God does the work as we walk by faith. God provides all the impetus. 
This is not, I get another chance, I better do better. You're not gonna be good at being good, but you can become better at being faithful, trusting, abiding. It's God's initiative, it's God's power, it's God's mercy, it's God's grace. We're being saved by the work of Jesus and we're being continually saved by the Holy Spirit's work. This is why justification and sanctification have to be kept together. You separate them, you make one worthless. You keep them together, you find the will of God. You find the purpose for your life. Second Corinthians chapter one, as Paul opens this letter, probably the fourth or fifth exchange between the two bodies, he writes, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set a seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God has done the work. God has made the power available. God has made his promises true. Receive them, accept them, choose to live in them. The reason I asked Michael DeFazio to preach last weekend when I went away to do a, a, a family a friend's fu a funeral wedding, whoops, that was Freudian. I, I did a wedding last weekend in Tennessee. And when I was gone, I asked Michael to preach the passage on suffering. And the reason we wanted the passage on suffering is because I wanted you to see that sometimes we think God's presence is only blessings and sunshine and puppy dogs, and it's not. Sometimes it's suffering. And sometimes God suffers with us in our suffering because he's shaping us. He is momming us in that moment for what we need, not just what we want. And I thought Michael did a fabulous job last week of presenting how suffering, the doctrine of suffering, may not be something we'd ever choose, but it's something that God will walk through us and shape us because of it. And the reason I had him preach that text is because I want you to understand that the Spirit's work is to set us apart. He says to anoint us. And if you're anointed, you're set apart from everybody else. And you think, well, anointing, it's not something we do today. And this sanctifying and this holiness. And what does it mean to be set apart? Well, let me put it this way. Many of you will experience, like in our home this week, a holy cabinet will be opened on Thursday. It contains the holy plates. Grandma's china. I don't know what a gravy bowl is. I know we have one. I know it appears twice a year. I also know that the Holy Cabinet never gets open for me. It gets open for guests. It has to be a special occasion that Grandma's China comes out. I know that nothing but turkey has ever touched those plates. There's never been a PBJ put on those holy plates. Ketchup's never been put in the gravy bowl. It is sacred. I know that we have a block of knives that has about a dozen knives that could kill everyone in this room. I know it's only brought out when we have steak. When the holy cabinet is open, my tail wags. I get excited. Something special is about to happen. I'm going to eat a lot. And I get happy when they come out. But I know that I do not dare touch the block of steak knives unless we're having steak. No hot dogs. No ham. No burger. It's got to be meat the way the Lord wants it to be. And when that holy cabinet opens, I know what set apart means. We're not using Grandma's China for everyday stuff. We're using it for a special occasion. And Paul flips this. He says that you and I have been set apart. What have we been set apart for? We've not been set apart for one moment every year that's special. We actually make things special by being set apart. We bring holiness into everyday circumstances. We bring the presence of God into play. And if we're not, that means we're not living the sanctified life. We're not allowing holiness to reflect from us as given to us by God. So we're not set apart for just special occasions. We're set apart to bring holiness into all creation. I'd like to read verses 7 through 18, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not trying to persuade you to not listen. 
I just know human nature. About a third of the way through this, you're going to say, check, please. I don't, I don't get this. Just read with me. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. And whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed in his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Clear as mud, right? Well, let me tell you what's taking place here. Paul is using an example from Exodus chapter 34. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. He gets the Ten Commandments and the law of God. He spends 40 days on that mountaintop with God. When he approaches there, Moses is bold. And he says to God, show me your glory. And let me translate it. God goes, isn't that cute? He thinks he could handle that. And God knows that if his full, righteous, holy glory would appear before Moses, Moses would die a sinner and be crushed under the weight of God's glory. So God says, listen, I'm going to do, I'm going to cover you with my hand and I'm going to show you my back. And I don't know if God actually has a back, but in the manifestation that he showed Moses of his glory, he went by. Now, this is an old illustration, but if you've ever watched the Ten Commandments, you know, when Charlton Heston came down the hill, he had tan and white hair, right? His physicality was altered. And what the movie makers were trying to profess is what Paul points here, that Moses came off the mountain and he veiled his face because the reflection of God's glory changed him so much that I don't believe Moses wanted to be, have everybody think it was about him. So he knew that this glory was temporary, so he covered his face and he wore a veil. Paul takes that moment in history and he flips it to show us what God's doing in us. He said, if Moses came down from the glory of God and his whole complexion was changed, but only temporarily, so much so that he had to veil himself, how much more is the ever abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in us going to reflect Jesus off of us and it will never fade? If this is good, Moses, this is awesome. So what I wanna say to the church today is don't just settle for justification. Receive and glory and sanctification because it won't be about you and me. If people see Jesus in us and from us, praise God because it's the glory of the Holy Spirit that's made that possible. You and I could not find holiness if it were three feet from us in an empty room. It's given to us by the goodwill of God and the glory that he gives us will not be diminished. And I hope if you have a tail, I hope it would wag at this. Paul wants us to anticipate this. There's something that happens in our home, and I'm not exaggerating. It it happens 360 times a year. About 8.45 to 9.15 every night, my wife's tank goes empty. She, She never sits down for anything. Never, ever, ever. She's like her grandma. She's always moving, always cleaning, always fixing, always planning. She just is a good girl. And she works hard. But between 8.45 and 9.15, she has all the intention to sit down and go through Pinterest or whatever she wants to to take her mind off the day. And she makes it about 10 minutes. 
And then she'll look at me and she'll say these words and I love her for it. She'll go into the kitchen to turn off all the lights, shut everything down, wipe the countertop one more time. She just has to do this to, get, to go to bed. And before she gets off the couch, she'll look at me and she'll say, do you want anything from the kitchen before I close it down? And I always answer, I do. And every night that girl thinks of me when she goes in there and I'm like, well, what do we have? Well, we have pie, we have a piece of cake. I got some, some pumpkin cookies. I, I got this, we have ice cream. And I'm like, all of them, please. And that girl will go into her clean kitchen and fix Alex or Braden and I something and she'll bring it in and she'll kiss me on the forehead and she goes up and goes to bed. I love that girl. And the truth is those five nights a year that she doesn't do that, I sit in my chair going, oh, because she's like, I'm going to go to bed. And I'm like, well, what the, the, the kitchen thing? I have to go get my own? I mean, that's why I sit in a lazy boy, ap, you know, aptly named. And, uh, but anyway, when that moment comes, I want to tell you that I've been conditioned by knowing this girl for 35 years and living with her for 33 of those, that when she says, I'm tired, I'm like, yes, it's coming. She's going to ask me what I want from the kitchen, and I want many things. And Paul says, God wants to give you sanctification. Your tail should wag. It shouldn't be, what do I got to do? And what if it gets in? The no, no, no. You don't understand. He wants to invite you into this world with him. He wants to walk with you and empower you and give you hope. It's more than just your past being changed. It's your right now and your future. And it's glorious and it's exciting. And you're blessed when he does. So you feel like right now I'm not, I'm not excited about that. I don't get excited about Bible study or prayer. It's because we've lost our focus. The world is battling for our minds. We'll talk about this in just a moment. But God is the one who will change your want to. Look at verse 16. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You empty right now? You struggling right now? You're not hungry for the word of God? You're not excited about what he's offering you? I want you to look at verse 16. Turn to the Lord. Focus on the man on the cross and the work of the cross. It's a battle for your mind right now. Turn it toward Jesus, not just the facts of Jesus. Spend time meditating on the goodness, the faithfulness, the honesty of Jesus. Let God mom you in that moment, calls you to more. Verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed to his image. If you want to be transformed into his image, understand that it is looking on the face of Jesus that will take the veil away. will give you understanding and comprehension. Verse 17, now the spirit is the Lord and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, not just freedom from your past, but the power to overcome Satan right now. The power over sin. Many people don't read the book of Ezekiel and I understand. I've studied it two or three times. I still don't know what he's talking about. It's a prophecy that he's connected to what God is gonna do and it gives us the power of God and the glory of God and the sovereignty of God. But there's a passage in Ezekiel that many people know. Listen to the promise. Chapter 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart or you, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God is saying, I will do the work in your heart that will change your want to. I am the one that it is so true. Sanctification is a process by which God does the heavy lifting. God is the one who changes our heart. God is the one who gives us hope. God is the one who's for us. He will be with us in the tough and the easy times, in the comforting times and the troubling times. God says, I am your answer. Seek me. Look at how Jesus revealed me to you. Turn your heart toward him. See, the Holy Spirit is a gift, not just to tell us what to do, 
but to give us the desire to do it and the ability also. So sanctification is a process by which God transforms our lives. But I need you to understand, I need to say this clearly. The work of surrendering to God is not easy. It's not just simply saying, okay, I'll try that this week. No, it's actually, the New Testament uses the word battle. It's warfare. Uh-oh. That means it's gonna take some effort. Yes, you were justified by the blood of Christ. And yes, you were sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is our faith that responds to those things. We provide faith, belief, trust. So when someone says something hard to us, we listen because we know they love us. We know they care for us, that they're not gonna let us settle for less than we could experience. In fact, in chapter two of this letter, Paul says, he talks about being outwitted by Satan. And don't be ignorant of the fact that Satan is working against our sanctification. In chapter 11, it talks about how Satan disguised himself as an angel of light to take us away from the truth of Christ so that we no longer rely on the truth of Christ and we lose the sanctifying work of the presence of the Spirit. In chapter 10, he says these words, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is a powerful passage that cannot be dismissed. And it's going to appear like all of a sudden preacher got angry. No, I need to say this. A few weeks ago, a good thing happened. I had just made mention in a, in a message that I was fearful that many people don't take Satan seriously. Like it's just the mythical explanation of good versus evil. Like we've created this caricature to try to explain where evil comes from, its source. Kind of like the backstory of a good DC comic. And I said, no, I don't believe that because Jesus believed Satan was real. He would not have lied to us and he warned us to be on the lookout. So because of that, I take Satan seriously. And what was overwhelming to me or surprising at least was the number of people who texted me or emailed me and said, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. So let me capitalize on that moment. God's gonna transform your relationships. He's gonna transform your behaviors. He can transform your language. He can transform your home. He can transform your work environment. God can do all that. But don't be mistaken for a second. The Bible teaches clearly, when God's gonna transform our hearts, he starts with our minds. What we feed our soul with is where God's gonna begin. And so I need to say this to the church. I'm gonna say it with love, but I'm gonna say it directly. You can't say you believe in Satan if you're not in the word of God. Because practically the way you're living is Satan is not real and what we have been warned about the work of Satan is not really true. So I don't have to be in the word of God meditating and pondering the truths of God because the antidote to the work of Satan in our lives begins in our minds and it's opening ourselves up to the revealed Holy Spirit inspired word of God. Oh, I'm not gonna give you a pattern of you have to read so many verses a day for something. No, no, no. What I'm simply saying is if you're not listening to the truth of scripture, it is a battle for the formation of your mind and heart and the world will win. It is getting more time and more input and more information into you than the word of God is. I am begging the church. If you want the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to work in you, open yourself up to the word of God. That's how you focus on Jesus. It's the first step to the life transforming power that's available in God. And then your affections, your want to, your relationships, your attitudes, your words will be changed. Bible study is just Bible study if it's not open to the will of God and the spirit of God. So what do we do? Sanctification is a process by which God transforms our lives. So what do we do? 
examine your life. I'm just going to use Paul's words at the end of this letter. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what I'm calling us to do this week. I'm calling you to receive what God so much wants to give you. Let God mom you. Let him call you if he needs to call you to more. Let him congratulate you and love on you and believe in you and forgive you and invite you. Paul says in the fifth and sixth verse of the 13th chapter, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Receive the sanctifying work of God. Look at your life. For those of you who do not have an active engagement with Jesus Christ, justification is the first step that has to take place. There's no sanctifying work until the blood of Christ has cleansed you. You have to make a profession of faith in Jesus, unashamedly, not just to say it for the church, but to say it to the world. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I believe that's true. And I believe his sacrifice on the cross was for me and that that blood is what I need to be right, to be justified. The second step is how to live that. And that's where the gift of sanctification comes in. That you are given life and then you learn to live it. It's a with God life. And I know this seems strange, but the reason you need a church is not because I need a job. The, re the reason you need a church is because when you're involved in a community of faith in a real sense, not just watching or coming once a week and sitting, but when you engage in community in a real sense, it will help you discover the areas of sanctifying work where you need more and where you're growing. You see, I needed two parents to invest in me when I was born, to sacrifice for me, to love with, to be patient with me, to tolerate me, to train me, to love me, to serve me. I needed that. I could not have grown on my own. I needed that. And you need the church. You need a church where you can grow and not just come and watch, but participate in a real way, real life conversations about the sanctifying work of God. And in the midst of that, Hebrews 12, one through three, shows us these two pillars in their beauty. Let's throw off then every hindrance and the sin that so easily entangles. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Once you're saved, A, you need to be saved from your sin. But once you've received the salvation from your sin, there is a life to be lived and God provides it, God strengthens it, and God blesses it. Are you in? Will you get rid of the things that so easily entangle us as the world battles for your soul? And will you fix your eyes on Jesus, our hope, our strength, our power? Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.